from University of Puget Sound, it's What We Do, a weekly podcast about the innovators, teachers, dreamers, and performers of Puget Sound and the stories behind the work they do. Welcome back to What We Do. I'm Chuck Luce, the editor of Arches, the alumni magazine here at the University of Puget Sound, and your host for these podcasts. Freedom Education Project Puget Sound, known as FEPS, is a signature program of the college's Civic Scholarship Initiative that aims to help women in prison get a college education. What began as a handful of professors teaching courses without credit to a small group of women prisoners has grown to offering 25 courses a year for more than 130 women and ultimately leading to the completion of an associate's degree. 23 of our own professors have taught classes or lectured at the prison, and more than 30 Puget Sound undergraduates have volunteered to lead study halls, assist students, and participate in the collaborative teaching and learning experience by all involved. Recently, senior Emily Rostick sat down with FEPS co-founder Professor Tanya Erzin and student volunteer Carson Nies to learn more. My name is Emily Rostick and I'm a communication major and English minor from Mill Valley, California. With me today is Professor Tanya Erzin and senior Carson Nies. Today we are discussing the Freedom Education Project Puget Sound. Professor Erzin is an Associate Research Professor on campus in Religion and Gender Queer Studies. She's also Executive Director of the Freedom Education Project. She recently published her book, God in Captivity, The Rise of Faith-Based Ministries in the Age of Mass Incarceration. Carson Nice is a program volunteer and has been volunteering for about three years. Anything I missed, you guys? No? Great. Um, so first I want to start with um, just kind of what FEPS is about. So would you like to start? Sure. Uh, FEPS started in 2011. It was a collaboration really with women in the prison who'd built a community organization there called The Village. They wanted to improve the conditions in the prison. It was one of the most violent in the state. We, uh, they, we met with them in the prison and they said they knew men were getting access to a college education in Monroe and they wanted the same access so we initially started just teaching classes without credit now we have a program that is a uh, we run about 30 classes a year they lead to an AA degree in uh, through Tacoma Community College but we have professors from all over the region and the premise of the program is that we give help women achieve a college education inside and give them access to pathways when they're released but also that we want them to have the same rigor and quality and expectations that they would have here on campus. And and you partnered, um, you've kind of worked with the collaboration between the University of Puget Sound, and how have you, I guess, um, started that involvement with the students on campus here? I'll, I'll say a little and then I'll let Carson say a little about that, but initially we have also, in addition to our cl- college classes, which are about seven a quarter, so that's t- meeting twice a week, we also have study halls three or four a week, and then that's a place for students who are in the prison to work with outside volunteers and undergraduate students from here on, on writing, on math, on topics, but also just to connect to undergraduates. Undergraduates here have also done book drives to help with our library. They've also volunteered at the program. They've come to our graduation. They've done things like collect the testimonies or stories of women inside and taken pictures that benefits the program as well. Um, and Carson, what's your role in FEPS? Yeah, so I started working with FEPS in 2014 after I'd taken a class with Professor Robin Jacobson, who helped start the program initially, and she um, told the whole class that there was an opportunity to volunteer at the program, and I followed up with her. Um, so since then, I have been working in study halls 
as Professor Erzin mentioned, um, we have study halls three times a week, uh, every week during the term. And uh, so I go to the prison once a week and work with students uh, in study halls on whatever assignments they're doing. Usually it's reading papers and helping to create thesis statements or um, basically collaborating on the different ideas uh, in order to create papers. Um, a lot of the classes that are offered in the prison uh, are the same exact classes that are offered here. So, for example, the class I took with Robin Jacobson, American Government, was offered at the prison the following term um, by Robin Jacobson and Seth Weinberger. And so that was uh, kind of a cool experience to be able to work immediately with students in the prison on the class that I had just taken um, and collaborate with them on different ideas there. And uh, besides working in study hall, I've been um, also working, I suppose, as sort of an intern for the program um, for the past year in basically recruiting more students from UPS to volunteer at the program. So we've had some recruitment sessions, uh, worked with students who took the class that Professor Erzin taught last semester, Prisons, Gender, and Education, um, to hold reflection circles to talk about our experiences working in the prison together, and um, also just working on administrative work to help the program continue to run. How many other students, UPS students, are involved? Does it, it probably fluctuates? It fluctuates. I think you had said at one point there were 33 who have volunteered with the program mm -hmm. um, since it started, but uh, right now I would say there are probably 16 UPS students who are actively volunteering with the program. Wonderful. And this, either of you can answer this, but why do you think it's important that um, UPS students or um, students who attend like a normal university are integrated with into the, an actual prison? I think uh, it's important because um, students in the prison in this program are students just like you and I are. So they are college students, but they don't have the same experience in that they're in a prison and not on a college campus. Mm -hmm. So having students from UPS go to the prison kind of, in a way, helps create more of a college campus setting for students at the prison because we are able to talk about what we're doing in our lives and then they're able to talk about what they're doing at the prison and what they are hoping to do um, when they've graduated or gotten or been released. Um, so it does create um, a stronger connection between the university and the prison. Uh, and it is really cool to be able to have the same conversations with students in the prison about what they're passionate about, what they want to do, the same conversations that I have with my friends on campus here too. So there's that connection between students there and students here. Absolutely. And I think students who took the class in the fall, so they were in a class once a week and then once a week they went to study hall and they got credit. They talked about this being one of the best experiences they've ever had. The, you know, most, they've, they never expected to sort of think about education and educational access and prisons in this way and how much it changed them that everyone should take this. So I think it benefits students because so much of the, the goals of the university are around diversity, around strengthening educational access, and this is a really tangible way to do it. And then also it, as you know from the class we're taking, you go into a prison, you're interacting with people as college students. I think it humanizes people, it forges connections, it helps to make prisons more a part of everyday life as opposed to something that's set off and far away and invisible to, to most of us. Another, a larger question that I have is, 
I guess, why do you think it is so important people who are incarcerated have access to education and college programs? I mean, there's the obvious reason in that there's evidence that it reduces recidivism. Mm -hmm. So people who do take college courses in prison are, I don't know the exact percentage, what, 40? 43% less likely to return to prison. That's from a RAND study done in 2013. Right. And so, I mean, that is, you know, hard evidence that it is really important to have education in prison. But um, more so than that, and this goes back to what Professor Erzin was saying, um, having college in prison is a way to humanize people who are so often dehumanized by society. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? No, I mean, it gets to the question, too, of, you know, it decreases recidivism. It's safer. It's less expensive than keeping people in prison. And all of those have been shown empirically. They're good reasons. The other reason is, you know, in prison, people are trained in certain vocations. So you can get a cosmetology degree, you can become a welder, and all of those are important. But what an education does is it gives people a broader sense of what, asking them, what do you want to do instead of us training you? Mm -hmm. It gives them more possibility for when they're released in terms of a job, coming out with a degree. I think also for women in prison, it's who we work with, most of them are mothers. Most of them are primary caretakers for their children. So it has an impact, a broader impact on families and on children because when you see your parent, and even if they're in prison and they're going to college, that child is much more likely to continue with their education than to end up in prison. So that's another example. And then I think just more broadly, it gives women in prison a sense of possibility, of self-efficacy, of empowerment. Many of those people were told throughout their lives, you will never go to college, you are stupid. And so they come in with self-esteem issues. And to be able to say, I'm doing this, and I'm part of a community that's doing it, I have a goal that I've achieved, uh, is is a really significant, especially in a space where those those aren't values, that, that's not valued by the, the prison or the administration necessarily. Um, and I'm sure that the Puget Sound student involvement um, shows or teaches them um, about these opportunities that not many people do get and kind of shows the privilege that we have here. Um, I guess I have a question for both of you. Do either of you have um, specific instances or stories um, of a a time at like with FEPS that really um, resonates with you or a reason that you continued with it? Uh, (laughs) It's kind of hard to choose one specific um, story, but I think it was last year, um, there was a particular student in one of my study halls who I would work with often, and she had said this multiple times throughout the term, but just um, thanking us every time we would come for um, being there as, you know, outside people. Oftentimes there are people in prison who don't see anyone outside. They don't have any visitors. Um, So even just having, like, some random college students come and just sit and talk with you for a while, um, she made it clear that that was a really uh, great experience for her and that she really valued the program. And I think hearing things like that is really important. I really appreciate FEPS in that it's not um, a program that is just going into the prison and trying to teach people in prison um, these different classes, but that it works directly with women in prison and it is something that the women in this prison ask to have. So it's not a program that um, we're enforcing upon people, but rather a program that people are um, actively like choosing to take classes through or actively choosing to go to study halls through. 
I think that's really important that the people that we're working with have a really um, large role in the program itself too. So I think um, hearing that people are really grateful for the program is something that I really value. We have a prisoner advisory council, so the group of women that helped found the program, we meet with them regularly, such as today, and to say, you know, how is this class going, and to make decisions about the program. And I'll just give two really quick stories. One is a student in our program for, for a very long time was one of the initial students who founded it, but was, oh, I'm not good. I'm not really, college isn't for me, I'm not good at college, but has slowly come, and she's about to graduate this this June. And her son is now in college on the outside, and when he comes to visit, they'll talk about books together, or I'm writing this paper, or I got an A in this class, and I think that's a really amazing thing to see happening in a, in a visiting room. And the other anecdote is the first time we taught a gender studies class, a lot of the students were really intrigued by the material and questioning gender and questioning women's roles in society, and they saw the associate superintendent of the prison, who's a woman, and they, saw, they happened to ask her, you know, Hey, how do you feel as a woman in power? Does it does it matter? What do you think about what you wear? And and you know you're wearing a dress today, and does 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 that affect you? And how do you manage your authority? And she was really open to that conversation, and they kept talking. And then we ended up showing a film in the prison and having a discussion about women uh, representation of gender and sexuality in the media. So I think that this can impact the prison as well mm -hmm. and the culture of the prison because it's a culture of punishment, and this is a culture of education and and. Uh, what, what you know? How does that change the conversation of what's happening inside? I have something to add, um, kind of going off of that. Another component of FEPS is a lecture series. So every month there's um, a lecture that's held in the prison by um, uh, Professor Preeti Joshi in the English department runs it and um, recruits different professors throughout Washington to come in and talk about their research or something they're very interested in. Um, and these are open to not just FEPS students, but any anyone in the prison, officers included. And I uh, used to help run the lecture series, and I really enjoyed going to them because it was so cool to see um, the majority of people who would go were not FEB students, but rather just women in the prison, and to see them engaging with um, professors that were brought in and hear them um, talk about how much they enjoyed you know, listening to certain lectures. We did one on the election series, and that was mm -hmm. really engaging for people as well. And I think that was super important to have you know, this outside information that they don't really have access to a lot of news sources there so hearing um, different intellectuals talk about what was going on during the election was really cool. Uh, speaking of the election, um, how do either of you think the um, new administration will affect programs like FEPS? Well there was a big shift last year because <clears throat> the education department reauthorized Pell Grants on an experimental basis so they had been taken away in 94. It financial aid for low-income students and that was how a lot of people in prison went to college and when the, uh, the Violent Crime Act under Clinton went into place many many prison programs shut down so they have when prison programs have operated since then, it's been through private funding, individuals, foundations. So reauthorizing Pell to students in prison is a really was a very big deal. Uh, it doesn't have the approval. It's not authorized by Congress. And so we had meetings in Washington last year. We met with the Department of Justice. We met the uh, John King, the Education Secretary. We had a meeting with, at the White House with Valerie Jarrett's office. So it was really you felt that. The, the administration cared about criminal justice reform and things were changing. They had universities, including Puget Sound. Uh, the vice president 
Chris Barton and went with me to the White House and they had universities sign this fair chance pledge that universities would not be biased against students applying who might have a felony or a conviction. But I think that will possibly shift, particularly with the education department. I can't imagine that Pell Grants, there's a three-year pilot, will continue. And more broadly, Republicans have actually been very much at the forefront of criminal justice reform. So you have the Koch brothers working with the ACLU on sentencing laws and parole, mostly affecting nonviolent uh, people who are in for nonviolent crimes. And it's unclear to me what will happen under the Trump administration, whether they'll still see this in the same way, which is the Republican movement for criminal justice reform sees it as a public safety issue and as an issue of financial or fiscal responsibility that it will save money to, to decrease the number of people in prisons. And, and I'm not sure how that will go. Okay. Um, Professor Erzin, you just released your book, God in Captivity, and you've been touring all over the country. Um, what does your book focus on and how does it relate to FEPS? My book looks at the role of religious groups in prisons, but one of my main, the main focus of the book is in many prisons in the South, very large prisons, prisons that were formerly slave plantations. The only way to get a college degree is through a Baptist seminary program. And so you end up getting an AA degree or a BA degree in Christian ministry. So it's a specifically Protestant, conservative, non-denominational, or Baptist program, and then they send the men and women who complete that program as missionaries to other prisons to create what they call moral rehabilitation, but in effect, it is essentially a missionary program. And so a lot of what I look at is what does it mean when you're in a prison and the only opportunity for education is a specific religious education? And, And I think more broadly, something we talked about in class is we in education talk a lot about the transformative power of education. It transforms individuals and their families and society, but religious groups similarly use the same language of transformation. Uh, born again transformation transforms an individual. They can then affect other people around them. So, you know, how are those two programs different? And I think one is that a secular college program, we're trying to get people access to a wide variety of ideas, disciplines, methods, uh, books and materials, and those programs seem to be more focused on Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, and they have a specific proselytizing purpose. So that's one intersection between the two, both the work with FAPS and the work and what I'm doing in the book. I guess to talk about what like students do here with FAPS, Um, How can current and future students get involved, and what might that process look like? Um, So I believe uh, Professor Erzin is teaching the Prisons Gender and Education course again um, next fall, so that is a very clear way to get involved. Um, I, I would really love to see what I think one of the struggles is right now is that there's no internet in the prison, so it's really hard for students to do a lot of research. And so I think one thing that um, FEPS has been trying to work on is how do how can we have students in the prison have more access to research? And so something that I think would be really cool that um, we've Professor Erzin and I have talked about is perhaps having students here be like quote unquote research advisors for students in the prison. Um, so having that connection. Um, where you at UPS can use your resources to bring research that students at the prison would need 
Um, doing book drives is always really helpful because, um, again, the issue, issue of research comes up. And uh, if students at UPS who are listening are interested in um, working in study halls, um, they can get in touch with me. I think that are, those are the easiest ways I would say to get involved right now um, is to take the course or to talk to myself or to Professor Erzin. And we're really hoping that's a course through Religion Experiential Learning, GQS, and Education, but to do more classes. So there are schools where they do inside-out classes. So say the class that you are taking with me right now, Crime mm -hmm. and Punishment, it could be taught in the prison, and half the students would be from campus here, and half the students would be from the prison, and everyone would be getting credit. And that model is a national model. It's started at Temple University, and it's done in many places. The other thing is there uh, we've had proposals to do tutoring in Spanish, so Spanish language tutoring, math tutoring, to bring in people to do go to math workshops. You could do so many interesting, you could do joint gender studies classes. I have, uh, we teach biology and environmental science, so we could, what if you had students here coming in and doing labs with students in the prison? So there are a lot of possibilities to do through experiential learning, and I think my class filled the first day. I have a huge waiting list. I keep getting emails about students wanting to be in it. So I do think there is a people are interested in experiential learning and they're interested in these issues. And so the more opportunities we can create, the better. Wonderful. And um, lastly, what are some resources that the public can access to educate themselves further about the issues with mass incarceration? There's a great online source called The Marshall Project, started by the former editor of the New York Times, and it's online and it's all edit, all articles about criminal justice issues. There's a great group called the Prison Policy Initiative, and they do this amazing research on incarceration rates and infographics about prisons and all -ish kinds of issues related to criminal justice reform around the country. So those, are, I think, are two really excellent resources. And now we just created last year a national organization for higher ed in prison, and it'll be called AHAP, the Alliance for Higher Ed in Prison. And that will be a national resource for programs all around the country to coordinate, to help new programs get started, to do research, fundraising. And we have a national conference every year. This will be our sixth year, and I'm not sure where it will be in the spring, but that's a great way to get involved, too. And then just, uh, I think the movie 13th on Netflix is a really important film to watch. And um, one book that immediately came to mind is The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. That's a um, really good book to learn more about mass incarceration um, today and how it does really relate to um, slavery. And uh, if you are interested as well, there's a student group called the Student Alliance for Prison Reform that's on campus. It's part of a national organization called the Student Alliance for Prison Reform um, that works to essentially mobilize students across the nation to um, promote criminal justice reform. And we're hoping to partner with uh, the University of Washington in some capacity. And um, they have a program there that is similar to the Student Alliance for Prison Reform that works with prison abolition. Um, so working with different student groups in Washington, I think, will be really important to mobilize other students on campus. Absolutely. Um, thank you guys so much for coming in, um, and thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. What We Do is brought to you by University of Puget Sound. 
Join us next Wednesday for another story about what we do at Puget Sound. And if you liked this podcast, rate us on iTunes.